the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into Hour 3 on this uh, heavily pregnant uh, day of politics. So much going on, politics and policy. It um, It's a delight to bring back to the show. We often have him on Fridays. Sometimes we have him on Mondays, but there was so much going on today I wanted to get him on now. Plus, it keeps our enemies confused. And he is George Kaloff. He is the president at David uh, Orbital and the managing partner of the Resolute Group based here in Phoenix. George, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. It's always good sets to keep the enemies confused. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. We can't have a standard day. Otherwise, uh, they'll they'll figure out our pattern. Well, I don't know. I mean, there is so much going on on the debt ceiling debate, um, the Donald Trump appearance on CNN last night, the expiration of Title 42, uh, Tucker going on uh, on onto a new platform, Elon Musk announcing that he's stepping down as CEO at Twitter. Let, let's start with, I guess, what's going to be most impactful, George. It's kind of interesting. I get asked from national media a lot about the immigration stories because I'm in Arizona. And in a weird way, I don't know why this is, and maybe it's my perception. In a weird way, I get the sense that Texas gets a a bit more attention than we do. Now, of course, they have greater points, bigger problems with points of entry. We have our own problems, but I think they're second to Texas. Um, But maybe it's because Greg Abbott is, is, is a bit more outspoken on it. I'm not sure. Um, But in any event, uh, we have a crisis that is uh, something we've been becoming somewhat used to in a weird way to say about a crisis that's now going to exponentially explode, oh, about 12.01 tomorrow morning. And um, I guess the first question I would ask you is the politics of that. How how poignant an issue is it politically for the Republican Party? And the reason I ask is when I ask candidates what they're asked about most on the uh, on the campaign trail and in their in their meetup groups, they say it's it's still immigration. It's still immigration is usually still the number one issue. How big of an issue is it for the country? How big of an issue is it for the party? How should the party talk and think about it? great question, because I think immigration, particularly for those of us in the Southwest or that border, uh, Mexico, it is a big issue. And I uh, have seen consistently in the public polling that we have done and the polling that I've seen from others that immigration on a bad day and in a bad month is a top two issue. Usually it's actually number one, right? I mean, because it's an issue that affects so many other issues. Immigration, to me, converges with the homelessness crisis, converges with our illicit drug crisis, converges with uh, cost of living. There's so many things that come out of the immigration uh, debate. And the problem with immigration, frankly, the problem with so many issues that we contend with on a national level and state level, is that there doesn't seem to be an ability to compromise because, uh, you know, whether it's both sides are asking for the moon, or frankly, that there's no actual serious uh, dialogue for compromise, because we're um, the left won't entertain a border wall and so on and so forth from uh, from there. And we've seen some very public, very bad attempts at compromise at 
essentially fallen through, right? And, and yep. we can sort of harken back to mm-hmm. 06 and different different time periods in our history where we've attempted it. But it is a big deal, and I'm not surprised that candidates that you talk to say that because it is something that uniformly get top ranks in surveys that we do and surveys that I see. Does anyone actually believe anyone would be the wrong way to cast that net? Uh, do large percentages of the population actually believe the talking points of President Biden, Secretary Mayorkas, or Karin Jean-Pierre when they say they have put forward plans, it's the Republicans who have been the obstructionists? Uh, You know, Seth, you would like to think, and I think both of us would like to think, that people wouldn't believe it. But I feel like we could find reasonable people on the street and in polls. Yeah. <laughs> that would that would believe it somehow just because it's coming out of the mouth of, of a certain type of person or with a big a echo chamber or, yeah right exactly yeah. Right? and if a democrat says it, the democrats believe it or vice versa you know i think the one thing that uh really should cast doubt on that is the fact that democrats from the moderates to the ultra progressives uh, in the state of arizona and in states like texas and others are coming out against national leadership including the president on this uh, people like Kelly and Cinema, people like yeah. Hobbs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like I mean, like like rank and file uh, Democrats in leadership that are absolutely decrying uh, the lack of preparedness from the White House. So you feel like you would think at some point they would sort of get embarrassed and like uh, put something together. And so maybe they say, "quote unquote," they have something together, but we probably wouldn't be where we were today if they actually had something together. If they actually wanted to care about the border and visit the border and actually see the problem firsthand, as so many of our elected officials and non-elected officials have done here in Arizona. One of the, you know, cheap talking points of the Democrats, George, at least as I perceive it, is they they would say about Donald Trump and Republicans generally is their their easy cheap talking point is we're anti-immigration. Uh, and we always, you know, do the natural correction and put a qualifier in there. And there's another I word that goes before immigration there, illegal. And yet I wonder if this problem has the potential to be so bad because it was so poorly mismanaged by the Biden administration that the Republican Party might just be identified as the party that is serious about immigration, legal or illegal, and the distinction may not matter as much anymore because we're going to be flooded so heavily here in the way that the party is identified, you know, as the, as, as the party that's either pro-life or anti-abortion, however you pitch it, in the way that the party's identified as lower taxes. I, I just wonder if that, that this crisis on speed, this exponential crisis we're about to go through, is going to give the Republican Party kind of a new image that might be in some ways, uh, though we hate to become saints on, 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 on sins and crimes and problems, in some ways that might be beneficial to the party. I just wonder if the crisis will have that effect in the way that I suppose being hard on crime or tough on crime or supportive of the police also became a kind of a yeah. a, a label yeah. attached to the Republicans. It it could be because, again, this is a big deal. This is much bigger than just Title 42, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we, yep. we like right. I said earlier, we have a lot of problems that are converging. If it was good economic times and if uh, – you know, we weren't dealing with crazy homelessness problems and crazy problems with, with drugs and drugs pouring over the borders. Maybe the immigration issue would be a big deal, but wouldn't be amplified to this level. Right. But it is like amplified with each of those things, yep. 3X, 5X, yep. 10X. I mean, it just mm-hmm. keeps compounding. Mm-hmm. And so now, 
you know, there there are a lot of people that may not even have thought of immigration before saying like, okay, I mean, come on, guys, like this is this is getting ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, right? I mean, there's so many things in our world. I feel like you and I, on a consistent basis, look at and say seriously, like this is right. this is not just getting ridiculous. This is beyond ridiculous. Right. And yet here we are talking about it. Right. things that 10 years ago we wouldn't have even fathomed we'd contemplate, and now we're actively having to have public discourse about craziness. Right. I mean, that's 2022 and 2023, and I feel like, you know, who knows, hopefully at some point there's a <laughs> there's a backstop and limitation to it, but I don't know, I feel like we're on a runaway train of crazy ideas, and, and the response from the left on immigration is, is, is frankly at the top of the list of, of just absolute negligence of, of you know, of idea. Yeah. Of and, yeah. And if you use uh, Kirsten Cinema as a kind of barometer on what's too crazy for even a normal Democrat, um, then this may be her positioning of the last couple weeks on this might be indicative of that. It might just be indicative yeah. if she isn't a, a barometer for that, which she kind of is, I think, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, she is. She is. Look, she's, she's, uh, well, she has not announced re-election. She's in a tough state. Mm-hmm. She's in a swing state. She's mm-hmm. in a border state. Mm-hmm. Now she has to do it as an independent if she is going to do it. Uh, this issue is a big deal. This issue cost Democrats a lot of races in the years in Arizona. I mean, you know, going back to very controversial bills in our history that got done, got overturned by the courts. The reason why those bills went through at the times and, and they, they weren't able to do anything about them via the ballot box is because the majority of uh, uh, voters, uh, including a lion's share of Republicans, even a majority of independents, want secure borders, right? And and then the ramifications of that um, then cause other public policy uh, byproducts. So it's a it's a real topic. Keep in mind, also a state like Arizona, with as uh, sort of as up in the air as we are, uh, only passed the in-state tuition for uh, for for DACA uh, here from a from a state perspective. It was it was a fractional percent. It was a very close race. Essentially, it was a fifty-fifty from a statistical perspective. So this state is still very much right-leaning on immigration policy, very much so. Yeah, um, And I think a lot of our leaders on the left do not uh, somehow still miss that mark, and they allow their most radical voices to dominate the conversation. But then again, they do that on almost every topic. You you, uh, you counsel a lot of candidates on a lot of different issues <clears throat> and um, the right language and the best language to use. Let me take a commercial break, but I think there's time enough for you to answer it before we hit the break. Do you still counsel the phrase illegal immigration? Is that the term of art we should keep using, illegal immigration, or is there something better you like? I mean, I think in general that term is, is the easiest yeah. and so the most recognizable, but I think there's, there is more nuance depending on how you're talking about it in the context. All right. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. I mean, the Democrats have clearly – have clearly gone on a gone on a train ride with language. Uh, undocumented, uh, undocumented Americans is, is my favorite. George Kaloff is our guest. He of the Resolute Group and um, and Data Orbital. Sorry, I was just looking at his website, theresolute.group, to follow him, keep up with him, reach out to him. George Kaloff and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. George Kaloff is our guest. He is a political consultant extraordinaire, head of the Resolute Group, and uh, also Data Orbital Consulting. Yeah, George, I kind of I thought it was a tell. I was just going to the break with you on this thought. I thought it was a bit of a tell on the Democrats when they start changing the natural language, uh, the, uh, the 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 normal lingua franca, if you will, of a policy when they start changing its phraseology. It tells me maybe they think they're weak on it. 
maybe not. But when I started seeing two years ago, and maybe this is part of what you were saying about things we never would have thought about 10 years ago, when I started seeing the phrase undocumented American, I thought, boy, we are really pushing the limits of not George Kaloff, but George Orwell here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, you know, the immigration uh, issue, and you and I have talked about this, is, is a big deal to me, not just because I, I, I believe in, in different ways of handling it than, than folks on the left and everything we've talked about is because I'm an immigrant. I was mm-hmm. born overseas. Uh, my family came here uh, legally in the mid-90s. But do you understand, and again, anyone who has come here legally understands, it is an exceptionally difficult thing to do. And mm-hmm. it's honestly close to impossible today. If mm-hmm. a family of mine still that live in Lebanon want to come here for, for the opportunity for a better life because they believe in the American dream, frankly, more than uh, many Americans do on the on the progressive left who believe the American dream is a farce. Uh, it, it's, it could take years and, and hundreds oh, of Oh, I'll tell you how they could do it quickly, though. I'll tell you how they could do it quickly. Well, they go over to Iran, they the fly to Venezuela, and they walk right up. Yeah, that's, that's how the, they would do right? it. Right, that's, uh, that's the problem. Yeah, so this, that's is, this the immigration problem. issue is a right. big deal to me because my family, we gave up everything. My yep. parents gave up everything yep. in the 90s and, and late 80s to come to the United States of America so that me and my sisters could have a better life, and thank God that they did. And now we have people that completely, completely have a disregard for the system. And yep. I'm sorry, that's not okay. Of course, we all want to come to America. America is an amazing, amazing place, which is why you're trying to to essentially uh, literally and figuratively walk over broken glass to get right, here. Sure. Uh, and, and you would put your life at jeopardy. And so for them to make light of it, for them to then say we don't care about immigrants is, is just not true. And it's more than a bending of the truth. It's a lie. Yeah. And then they make up words yeah. that make it easier for them to justify uh, their lie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me let me use this issue to segue over uh, to some of what took place last night and has been a big story, and that was Donald Trump's town hall. And the reason it's a segue is because he ran his, or at least announced his opening candidacy in 2015 on this very issue. And in some respects, while people were dismissing it, he had a sense of of a um, of an undercurrent, I guess, of being able to say or saying things um, that he figured people were afraid to talk about or afraid to say, but he picked up on, and that was the illegal immigration issue. So the CNN town hall last night was so unique in so many ways and so interesting in so many ways. Um, The best breast beating of the folks at CNN after the fact, well, during and after the fact, was kind of interesting to me in and of itself. The beating up on CNN by every other liberal organization uh, is, is another and then this, George, and I don't know if you saw this. I've, I've been looking all days for the all day for the number. I'll break it to you if you didn't know. Um, I found fascinating that only three and a half million people tuned in. I wouldn't now. That's big for CNN. That's double that what CNN would normally get at eight p.m. I guess. Yeah. But I sure would have thought it would have been bigger. Maybe I'm wrong about all that. Yeah, and, and that's the that's the thing, and that's the power of social media, and also the demise of our of our world because of social media. You know, what does three and a half million you know represent? Represent last I checked, Tucker population. got twenty five million views on his yeah. two minute announcement, but that was two days ago. Exactly. I'm sure it's exactly. double that now. Yeah, go ahead. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah. So my point is that, that that's all yeah. that any of us in the quote unquote bubble are, are are talking about. So that's the point. It's like we are still consumed, sort of to, to, to critique our own kind yeah. of uh, type when it comes to this stuff. So we're so consumed with. I think that was done, but I can guarantee if you ask the average person, they don't know anything about it other than what they've heard in regurgitation, which yeah. is, frankly, again, the, the power that the left knows they have with the mainstream media and social media. They, they took something that three and a half million people watched and have, and have amplified it to a whole other uh, level. And, and again, it's just it's very interesting to me as well. 
to see the debate raging on the left of like should they or should yeah. they not have given audience yeah. and yeah. CNN, you know, de- like defending themselves and like they're 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 eating their own about it, and yep. uh, then the rest of us are kind of looking at them and chuckling because you know the, I don't know some of the there's so many problems happening in our world, yeah. uh, and I think you, you talked about this in your uh, in your opening. Yeah. And it's like some of the debates the left has, and you and I have said this like a million times over. It's like what the heck are you guys talking about? Yeah. Like, what, what are yeah. you focusing on? I'm yeah. like, look, we can walk and chew gum, but. The problem is they don't even talk about the all these issues that are raging in the world. They just want to focus on the stuff that they feel like makes them news or gives them attention or gives them ratings or makes them money, right? We yep. come back to the moral of the story, which is money, dollar bills. There is an interesting implication to the self-flagellation and breastfeeding internally at CNN and what you know other networks from MSNBC to ABC have said about the town hall they hosted with Donald Trump, all of which was – that they should have been harder or Caitlin should have been harder on Donald Trump or not allowed him to fill in the blank. You and I would put it, not allow him to speak. They would put it, not allow him to get away with what he got away with. There's an interesting implication to that. And the implication to that is that the world's most recognized cable television news network, CNN is saying and other media outlets are saying that a Republican candidate for president, and in this case it happens to be far and away the leading Republican candidate for president, should not be given a fair shot in an interview. That is the impl- that that is what really they are saying. This was not a debate. And what they're saying is that the moderator, not even a moderator, the journalist interviewing him should not have been as good to him as she was which is funny because a lot of us didn't think she was that good to him. But that's what they're saying. That's an interesting implication for media to admit about a Republican candidate for president, that neutrality in journalism is over. They're, I think that is what they are implicitly saying, George. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, look, look, obviously there was a whole season, number of months, well, more than a year, year and a half, when it was just like, no, we're not going to allow him to be on certain social media platforms. Yep. I mean, look at how all that yep. uh, played out. I mean, look, this this is a very, uh, you know, I feel like all we've done is say unprecedented, and I'll use it again, I suppose. This mm-hmm. is a very unprecedented thing because there's no longer an ability to have that discourse. Now, folks on the other side will say, well, it's not discourse, it's just lying. Yeah. But the problem is that when they are the individuals that believe that truth is subjective and anyone's yep. different truth is yeah. you know, anyone's truth is different it's yeah. a, it's really rich like yeah. we're the one that say actually there's an eternal truth they're the ones that say no, it's not <laughs> that's right and then it's rich coming from them saying that well the, no there's a truth and there's a lie i mean like right like they, they, they're playing how else to call it or how else to say it they're essentially almost playing mind games with the american people and that's right and i don't have any particular brief against a fact check in the papers or on the ap after the fact But this is a complaint about in the middle of the interview, almost as if, and maybe exactly as if, what Candy Crowley did to Mitt Romney in the 2012 debate should be the new standard. It's it's kind of what they're asking uh, for that. That that's what they're asking for. That what Candy Crowley did in 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 contradicting Mitt Romney uh, against Barack Obama in 2012 shouldn't have been the mistake that should have been the norm. Let me take a quick commercial break. Might we pick up on that a little bit, too, when we come back? Uh, George, Thank you. George Kaloff is our guest. He is the president at Data Orbital and the managing partner of the Resolute Group. We will be right back. 
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. George Kaloff is our guest. He is a political consultant and a polling expert, pollster himself, the president of Data Orbital and the managing partner of the Resolute Group. George, I was just making the point about the new media universe we probably have to come to grips with and have not yet quite come to grips with as a as a movement, as a party, perhaps as a country. And and maybe it's the journalistic core, the journalist core uh, that has to come to grips with why we uh, have such antipathy toward them these days. When in the 2012 presidential debate, Candy Crowley, who was moderating it between Mitt Romney and Barack Obama, folks may remember, at one point Mitt Romney made a charge uh, – to Obama, about Obama, and his response to Libya, I think it was. And she, she, she tried to correct Mitt Romney, and Mitt Romney let her correction stand. It was as if it was a live fact check as the debate was going on. That's what it was. And everyone kind of the next day said, and I think she did too, that was not good form. We are now in a world, especially after we were seeing the reaction to Caitlin Collins and CNN, and not just outside of CNN, but within CNN, that that should now be the new norm for journalists. They're saying that when it comes to a Republican, there is no such thing as an independent um, journalist. There is no such thing as a moderator, that we are always going to be the away team, and the refs have, um, have a green light to be a little harder on us than the other guy. Seems to me that's what they're saying. And we have to come to grips with it. And if they want to know why we don't trust them, they have to come to grips with this as well as a change in what journalism used to be. Absolutely. And I don't think this is just something that they're doing with Donald Trump. I think that they're doing it with, and I've seen them do it with, random signers of opinion editorials at the, with the Arizona Republic. And they're doing it with local media. There's just voices that are not invited back that are not wanted. There's op-eds that are not um, given the time of day because the values that we espouse as conservatives and as Republicans is um, is not okay. So it's no longer news, right? And again, I know editorials are not news, but it's, it's no longer even, you know, both sides and you want to give equal opportunity. Some still do that. A lot of people don't. Uh, it's like, well, we can't give you equal opportunity because what you're saying is a lie. But the problem is they're not just saying it about one person and one thing. It's like a blanket rule. Mm-hmm. Everything that comes out of your mouth and my mouth and his mouth and whoever's mouth is a lie because it's not what the other side wants to hear. Well, when that's the case, that's the problem, right? So, like, if the left is willing to say, and the progressive left is willing to say, okay, no, these are the boundaries that we're going to draw. But every day is a new boundary, Yeah, right? We yeah. can't make heads or tails of it. They're not drawing it around one person and one set of issues. Like, for example, no, I'm not going to entertain something around the 2020 election and something else, right? Yeah. It's just anything and everything. If you're pro-life, no good. If you're religious freedom, no good. If you're a church-going Christian and you believe Christian values, no good. If you have Judeo-Christian principles, it's no good. If you, right? I mean, the list is growing not even by the day. It grows between the morning news cycle and the noon news cycle and the evening news cycle, right? I mean, we're seeing it happen in real time. I guess part of the problem is not only the university system from which journalists come, but the fact that most political, at least televised journalism, um, and for that matter, the most popular print journalism, is based in Manhattan and Washington. And it reflects the social mores and the political mores of Manhattan. And the rest of the country isn't Manhattan. I think that's that's maybe part of it. I mean, you know, how, how, everything you just said 
if you're pro-life, if you're regular uh, church-going American, if you believe in marriage and that men shouldn't compete in women's sports, those just aren't the—that's not the ethos in Manhattan and increasingly not D.C. either. There's this growing divorce between where where the hubs of the media centers are and where the rest of the country is. I think that's a part of it too, don't you? 100%. 100%. I mean, look, what, what major— media outlet major being more than just local or regional comes in uh, from anywhere that's not the coast yeah or chicago yeah think about it what, yeah. what, what comes from middle america what comes from rural anywhere name a state nothing 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 no, in, 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 in that format right media. yeah right right exactly not yeah. in that format not tv right, now right, look right. this is the to, to use this word and phrase the democratization of media and, and social media like that is the benefit of it right and that is the power of what has happened is that it is arming and everybody and their uncle could have a sub stack and could put stuff yeah, out there sure. but you're still very bifurcated yeah. and very divided versus just being the major news stations and the national and local news stations right so yep. uh, there is a difference even though that has helped it yep can you do one more segment with me? I want to get into a few other yeah. issues if you have time. That would be great. Uh, George Kaloff is our guest. He of dated Orbital and uh, the Resolute Group. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. George Kaloff has been our guest this hour. Delighted to have him. He is the president at uh, Data Orbital and the managing partner of the Resolute Group, theresolute.group, his website. George, I had this interesting call yesterday that was kind of uh, what what you might have considered a um, uh, a pitch right down the middle to the kinds of stuff you and I have spent uh, previous weeks talking about. And what this caller, conservative caller, self-described uh, Republican caller, said to me, and I think you may have heard the call, he said, you know, we can talk about illegal immigration. We can talk about debt. We can talk about the economy and inflation. We can talk about Biden corruption. But what the Democrats are going to kill the Republicans on next year are just three issues. And Republicans are not great at dealing with them. Abortion, uh, LGBTQ transgender rights and uh, gun control. And uh, I kind of gave a response saying, you know, the interesting thing to me is that's where I think Republicans should be the loudest, quite frankly, rather than, you know, trying to figure out clever ways to deal with those issues. I think the the smartest thing is to run right at it. Um, And that our problem has been that we shrink from them. We shouldn't be afraid of them. We should relish the thought of talking about those things. But as I say, I think you might have heard it. Tell me your thoughts on all that. Yeah. So, uh, look, and I, you and I 100% agree on this. The tougher the issue, I think, the more that you need to engage and lean in on it. But this is the problem that assumes that people are willing, our elected leaders at any stage and at any level, are actually willing to talk about tough issues, mm-hmm. which I've actually come to realize, and I know that you've <laughs> come to realize in very, very painstaking ways that actually the 95% of the time they're not. Um, you know, and, and it just is what it is. They don't want to talk about tough issues. They want to talk about things that make everyone happy because if they talk about tough issues, someone's going to be upset. Yeah. And it's very difficult for sure. them to manage. Sure. Um, you in that call cited a poll, which, again, I, I not just 100% agree with. Uh, we have actually seen consistently time and time again in Arizona and in any state we respond to, which is where the average American is not with the progressive left on the gender identity and transgender issues. They're just not. That's just not. They don't believe that children should be given uh, body-altering uh, drugs. And there's been so much now discourse and commentary from people that have gone through that process that have now 
detransitioned because of how uh, how it did not take away any of their struggles and how they continue to struggle actually even more and it absolutely uh, wrecked their body and ability to function. And so uh, my advice always to to folks on our side is to engage on those issues. Look, you'll notice, like, who engages on those issues more? The left. They, they, they love to talk about them, right? Like, they, to use your word, they relish to talk about these issues because even if they're in the right or wrong, that's how they dominate the conversation. Yeah, that's right. The view wouldn't they exist usually, but for these issues, right? <laughs> I mean, exactly, this is, yeah, right? right, right. This everyday and, and script their, for the view, their, right. Exactly. Their bet is that when they talk about it, we don't. They want that. They want silence. In, in opposition, when I did high school speech and debate, they always used to say silence is, uh, silence is con- uh, concession. Mm. If we didn't respond to an argument that the opposing side made, that we automatically forfeited that argument. Why did they teach you that in high school debate? Uh, no, like, fine, in life there are some things where you just have to let it go, but uh, but not in the public narrative. You can't just be accused of being a horrible person, and then you're just like, you shrug your shoulders and what, accept it? No, right. <laughs> How is that going to end up for you, especially in the court of public opinion? And right. So. We need to talk about all three of those issues. Look, in the abortion issue, that's an issue that I spend a considerable amount of time on. It's, it is very complicated. I'm not saying telling you these issues are easy. What I'm telling uh, viewers is that we need to hold our elected officials' feet to the fire, not because these are easy, but because they're not easy. Because they're difficult, we need to engage on them. Um, and these are some of the most fundamental issues that we have, our ability to, to practice our religious faith and be protected, and our ability to protect our children from from um, essentially making it over to the border of California and all of a sudden now having our parental rights severed because the state of California decided they wanted to be a transgender safe haven, or the fact that we're protecting our women and our children uh, that are in one of the most uh, one of the most pivotal moments of their lives when a woman's facing an unplanned pregnancy. We we are the, the individuals that have the heart for these for these women and have the heart for these issues, but we don't always talk about it as if that's the case, and we let the other side frame us as as evil essentially and as horrible, and that's not okay. We can't. We can't allow them to do that. It seems to me that if a candidate knows what they're talking about and is confident in what they're talking about, that leadership on these issues will be rewarded. I mean, if you read, uh, let's say, if you were an alien that got all, flew, landed on Earth from outer space and got all your news from the mainstream television news networks and Wall Street Journal and New York Times and Washington Post, and you were looking at the Georgia race, let's say, last year, you would think not only would Stacey Abrams be elected governor, she'd be elected governor in record numbers. She was the darling of the left and really the media for a good um, a good several years. And, you know, Brian Kemp... Uh, you know, he killed her, uh, politically speaking. I, I think it was like almost almost by 10 points, almost. It may, may, may have been seven or eight, but almost 10 points, certainly more than five. It wasn't even close. Um, and same for Ron DeSantis. Same for, you know, what you saw with some of the school board races you were running here. Mm-hmm. Um, when people do go right at it and show no fear, uh, I, I got to tell you, I think that's what people want to reward. I think it gives someone something someone to... Someone, something to vote for. That's what I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the average Arizona and the average American will look at those individuals and will hear those individuals and say, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. I've made out to feel like I'm crazy by a vocal minority, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. This person represents the things that I believe, except I feel like I'm not in a position to speak up that they are. And they thank them how? By electing them to lead our states and our school boards and our cities and our nation. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. the whole point of this. I mean, politics point. is marketing. Yep. Politics is marketing. So, uh, well, that's Ge- what it is. yeah. No, well, George, thank you. Uh, we didn't get into the debt debate, but um, 
we'll have plenty and ample time to do it more so next week, and we'll know more. I just take note that Joe Biden canceled a meeting with the Republicans that was supposed to take place tomorrow. That's how important he uh, he seems to be taking it. Um, uh, thank you for everything you are, George, everything you do, and for your time. All right. We'll talk soon, Seth. Thank you. You betcha. We'll talk next week. I am Seth Liebson. I'll be back with a final thought. With everything else we've been talking about, think about the economy in the Biden administration with the bank failures and the volatility of the stock market, the inflation, possible recession. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to any of that, not the stock market, not the Fed? Why Refi has that investment opportunity where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Think of that freedom. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. Why Refi is locally based, I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there and you won't be asked to sign a thing. You won't get a sales pitch. They leave that up to me. But when you do meet with that team at Why Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much and you can too. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. You can check them out online at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. Just thinking about that conversation with George and issues that some people think are tough or some people think are divisive. And yet you think of where our bigger victories were uh, in the uh, midterms last year, uh, whether they be Florida or whether they be Georgia uh, or Virginia the year before that, off-year midterm election, governor's race in, um, and lieutenant governor's race in uh, Virginia, uh, the Senate race in Ohio. Uh, these were not shrinking violet Republicans who were just trying to get by or slip in through the cracks of tough issues. They they drove hard at them. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, in Brian Kemp's case, probably, hopefully, retired forever, this nonsensical Democrat who was probably the third most popular Democrat in the country, Stacey Abrams, probably third third or fourth after Hillary and Kamala and someone else, maybe Joe Biden, I don't know. But she was, uh, you know, one of the top five national Democratic uh, leaders or leaders or spokespeople of the Democratic Party, speech givers, fundraisers. And he may have retired her. I, I, I'm still romantic about politics and believing what Winston Churchill said, which is it's awfully hard to look up to someone who has their ear to the ground. And this is a message to state parties across the country. Um, when folks, you do look at your ballots, ultimately, whether it's at the primary or the general election, you see that they're kind of wanting. And you say things that we've all said, which is, how did we end up with candidates like this? Well, I know it's not something the parties like to do, but I think it's something the parties better start doing, and that's recruiting good candidates. There are no shortage. There, are no, there is no shortage is the better way to put that. There is no shortage of people who would make for great candidates, who know the issues or can learn them, and who can speak to them or can learn how to. This is the responsibility of the state parties, and I think it's our responsibility to light the fire under them to start 
doing it and getting involved in recruiting the candidates that actually represent us and represent us respectfully. Thanks for spending some of your day with us. Until tomorrow, David, again, thank you. God bless you all, and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.